you to turn um, in, your, in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. We were in Lamentations during Sunday school this, this, um, this week. If you ever have trouble finding where Lamentations is, you know, it's right next to Jeremiah. It's right after Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, and Lamentations is what he did. He lamented a lot. He wept, and, um, and Jeremiah, we believe, wrote Lamentations, and... Um, <coughs> And there are only five chapters in Lamentations. I guess he got tired of lamenting. And so, um, but we need to do a little bit of background before, before we can get our hands around Jeremiah and Lamentations. Um, Jeremiah was a prophet to Jerusalem. And he was given a very difficult task. He was charged with going to the people of Jerusalem and trying to get them to repent of their sin before destruction came. He was, he was supposed to go to this people and, and try to I don't, do what... Um, do what... Um, um, name escapes me. William F. Buckley said of himself, one man standing athwart history shouting stop. You know, he was trying to get them to stop. He was trying to get them to turn around and go the other way. But God basically communicated to him that this is a hard-hearted people. And you're going to go there and you're going to tell them to repent and they're not going to listen to you. But I'll be with you. Is kind of what God told Jeremiah. Uh, he had a hard road to walk. He was commanded by God not to marry. He was commanded to preach repentance to a people who would resist. His own hometown rejected him and persecuted him. And he got to walk through, or not got to, but he had to walk through the fallout of his people not listening to him. And what Lamentations is, is a book of him basically walking around the city of Jerusalem that has now been reduced to rubble because they've been conquered, because they wouldn't repent. He's walking around the rubble weeping. Weeping because his city and the temple have fallen. Because the people wouldn't listen to the word of God delivered through him. Um, he was supposed to preach repentance. When you preach repentance, it doesn't always work out, right? People don't like to hear that word, repent. It means to turn. It means to turn back or to turn away. So we learned some things about, about um, <clears throat> lamentations from Jeremiah. I'm going to give you the book of Jeremiah in about 90 seconds, okay? Just, just using about three verses of Scripture, three passages of Scripture. It says this in Jeremiah 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I consecrated you. 
I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. So this, is, this is God telling Jeremiah, I am your God, I will be with you. That's good news for Jeremiah because what he's about to walk through, he's going to need to have that confidence deep down in his bones that God is with him, that God knows him, that before he was even knitted together in his womb, God knew Jeremiah. And then it says in Jeremiah 6, it might be going longer than 60 seconds, but don't ever trust a preacher on time uh, estimates. It says this of, of the Israelite people. It says, even of their religious leaders, verse 13, Jeremiah 6, 13 and 14, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly. You know what that means? It means they had a serious wound and they just tried to slap a Band-Aid on it, right? They just tried to, I don't know, sweep something under the rug. They didn't really deal with the root issue. They just tried to hope that they could put some makeup on it and, and paint it up and, and go along. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, right? Genuine peace doesn't come through telling everyone, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, Genuine peace comes through having a reckoning with who God is through repentance, turning away from my sin and turning toward God. That's a painful process, but it's a painful process and there's peace on the other side of it. Jeremiah says, the problem with the preachers was that they weren't dealing with root issues. They were healing the wound of the people lightly. That's what the problem, and because of that, the people didn't repent. And because they didn't repent, they led toward greater and greater problems. Jeremiah 17, of course, is a, a passage that I quote often. It says, the heart, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is our problem. Our problem is that we have a heart that's turned away from God. Romans 3 says, we're not even looking for God. No one seeks after God, Romans 3 says. We have a heart that's turned away from Him. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Some translations say who can trust it. Um, so that's the problem that the people are dealing with. They need, to be, uh, they need to have their wound dealt with rightly instead of lightly. How's that for a little consonance there? Jeremiah 31, 31 says this. This is the good news, though. This is the gospel in Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. You skip down to about verse 33. Halfway through 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, their sins, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the gospel. This is the promise that yes, you're living under a covenant right now and the covenant is like 
The law is outside of you. It's on stone tablets. It's always hard to, to obey well enough. But one day there's coming a new covenant. When, it, when he sends Christ and he sends the Holy Spirit, he says, I will write my law on your hearts. You will obey not because you have to in the new covenant. In the new covenant, you will obey because you want to. That's why, friends, that's why we are Baptists. Because we believe in individual conversion. That there is no way to God except through a change of heart that God does in us. And when He does that change of heart in us, we, obey, we, we willingly turn away from our sins. Why? Because we, we want to. We still wrestle. I mean, we still wrestle with sin and temptation until the grave, of course. But now we obey God not out of obligation, but out of thanks. Because we have been given a new heart by God. So, at some point we've got to get to Lamentations 3. And uh, right now, it seems like a good enough time as any. Let's just read, starting in verse 1, and we'll just try to get the sense of the first 20 verses. The first 20 verses kind of tell the same story. Uh, Lamentations 3, 1 through 20, um, <clears throat> says this, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath, of, of God's, God's wrath. So God sometimes brings affliction. It's a difficult truth, but at least it helps us make sense of our affliction. In other words, I know I'm pausing here before I ought to, but sometimes when affliction comes, suffering, when suffering comes, when trial comes, sometimes what makes sense to us in that moment is to get angry with God, right? We think if God were what I envision that He ought to be, this would not be happening to me. But the reality is, if there is no God, then all of our suffering is meaningless. So you can either have a God... And really, try, and really have to wrestle with how does my suffering dovetail? How does it mesh with the fact that there is a God? Well, there's a little bit of comfort in there because if there is a God, there's a meaning to my suffering. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that this, this, momentary, that this momentary and light affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. In other words, all of our suffering is doing something good inside of us. Or you can have the alternative. That every time you suffer, it doesn't mean anything at all. It's not doing anything eternally good in you. We can have these vague notions that whatever doesn't kill you make you stronger, but at the end of the day, what confidence do we have that that's really how the world works? So the reality is we can either have a God and have our suffering make sense, or we can comfort ourselves that there is no God who would do this to me, but now suddenly my suffering doesn't mean anything. There's no redeeming purpose to it 
eternally, at least. Anyway, that was just verse 1. I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. You can imagine Jeremiah walking through the streets of Jerusalem, stepping over the rubble like some folks just west of us are doing every day, stepping over the rubble, right? You can imagine Jeremiah walking through weeping, wishing that the people had just turned back to God, wishing they had just repented. And you can hear him saying, I've been brought into this situation. It's not even my fault. See, sometimes... Sometimes we go through suffering because we're the victim. Sometimes we go through suffering because we're the culprit. The people of Israel, by and large, are going through suffering because they're the culprit. They're going through suffering because they didn't turn around and repent. Jeremiah, however, is going through suffering as the victim. Sometimes when we're the culprit, we like to think of ourselves as a victim. Sometimes when we're the victim... It's easy to think of ourselves and maybe, what did I do to deserve this? What, what did I, you know, maybe I'm the culprit. It's easy. In the, midst of, in the midst of trial, we step into a world where everything looks distorted and we don't, we don't view our situation naturally. We have to really fight for it through the scriptures to view our situation the way that God sees it from the bird's eye view or the God's eye view. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Verse 4. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Look down, um, look down at verse 16. This imagery. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. And made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering. The wormwood and the gall. Friends, this is a man who's really, really wrestling. He and Job could form a club together, right? With, with what they are being drug through. But look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You see where Jeremiah finds his hope? Jeremiah doesn't find his hope in the city being built back quickly. Jeremiah doesn't find his hope in, I don't know, him being able to even find a wife or whatever. I mean, God has told him you can't have that. Jeremiah finds his hope in the character of God. And as he's walking around in the midst of all the rubble, that is the one rock that Jeremiah has found that will not move. You know, of course, if, you know, if this has been highlighted in the Gospel Project curriculum, I believe, in the last couple months. Um, maybe. I'm trying to remember where it came up. The steadfast love of the Lord. The word there, I'm going to just occasionally throw a Hebrew word on you. This is one you should know, and you could even write it in your Bible. Hesed. 
Maybe you've heard that. You've probably heard that before. The Hesed love of God means the covenant love, the steadfast love. Anytime in the Old Testament where it says steadfast love, or perhaps your translation might say the covenant love, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This means that this, this Hesed, H-E-S-E-D, this Hesed love is the love that if God were to abandon it, he would cease to be God. In other words, he's never going to abandon it because it's not something that he does, it's something that he is. God has Hesed love. It will never depart. It will never go away. And Jeremiah says this. He confesses it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is where the song comes from. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. It says in, in verse 25. So I would just encourage you, church, sometimes affliction comes from the Lord's hand. I don't mean that He's the author of evil. We know that that's not the case. But we do know that because we follow a sovereign God, everything that comes to us has, in a sense, passed across his desk. And what that means is that nothing that happens to us is accidental or catches God off guard. And because he's good, and because he's the God of Hesed love, and because his mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning, we can have a confidence that even the ill that comes our way, God intends to use for a good purpose. This is the message of Joseph in Genesis. The very last verses of the book of Genesis. It's where Joseph expresses to his brothers when they come to him, thinking that he's going to strike them down because their dad has just died and maybe dad's, the cat's away and the mice will play. Now I guess Joseph's going to get his revenge now and Joseph says, no, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You notice what it says there. It doesn't say what you meant for evil, God figured out a way to turn it into good. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, if we don't understand that truth, and if we don't really nail that tent peg down in times of calm, then when the winds do begin to blow, we will respond in bitterness, right? God, how could you, woe is me, how could you allow this to happen to me, right? Who are you? Are you not good? Well, I think it's safe to say that Jeremiah experienced more than most of us ever will in our lives. And if the method of reorienting Jeremiah's heart back on God to restore his hope 
If it was good enough for Jeremiah in his circumstances, he didn't even have the Holy Spirit living in him like we do on this side of the cross. Then surely this path, if we stay after it, will yield fruit in our lives too. If we remember, God, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. And I confess to you, God, that I don't understand how you could think that this is good. I confess my weakness to you, God. But I believe that your mercies are new every morning. I believe that great is your faithfulness. And I believe that the Hesed love of God never ceases. That brings peace to a heart. You're going through trial? Don't veer toward bitterness. Don't turn inward. Don't turn outward in anger. If you've been persecuted, if you've been spoken falsely about, if you've been the subject of gossip, instead of trying to set the record straight, let the cry of your heart be, God is enough. His Hesed love never ceases. This is part of submitting ourselves to God. And I'll confess to you, I don't even know where I am on my notes. I'm, I'm way off on my notes. So, um, I want to leave you with this from Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 67. Psalm 119, 67 says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. See how God has used trial in the life of the psalmist there, in the life of, of um, the writer of Psalm 119. He says, before I, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But he's basically saying, God, you used my suffering to draw me to you. Instead of trying to get even in this life, maybe we should look to see, God, how do you intend to use my situation to draw me closer to you? And then look down just a few verses in verse 71. Psalm 119, 71. He ups the ante. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Oh God, would you give us that kind of faith? Would you give us that kind of trust in your character? That should be our prayer tonight. God, give us that kind of trust in your character that when trial comes, we don't seek to escape. We don't seek to fight for our rights. We instead say to God, because this trial has come, God, my eyes are going to be on the horizon looking for what you are going to do in the midst of it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your, for your word. It has an apt word for every situation that we might find ourselves in. Tonight, as we reflect on Jeremiah and how he 
had great reason to lament. He lamented because the people of God were not repenting. And when the people of God did not repent of their sins, you disciplined them. And when you disciplined them, it caused even the righteous, like Jeremiah, to suffer. But Lord, we know that your discipline is not the final word for those who are in Christ. For those who are trusting in you, who are turning away from their sins and are running toward Jesus, they are safe in the finished work that Christ did in his 33 perfect years and in his substitutionary death on the cross. Lord, I pray that we would rest in the gospel. I pray that we would rest from our strivings. And I pray that we would hide ourselves behind the cross, confessing we are not here because of our goodness. We are here only because of the goodness of Jesus. And help that gospel to, to put steel in our bones to stiffen our spines so that we can have a rock-solid faith in you when the trials do come, so that we can respond to them like Jeremiah did in Lamentations chapter 3, remembering your good and perfect character. God, would you give us grace to do that? Would you give us grace to comfort those around us who are in the midst of trial? Would you help us to comfort them when they need comforting? Would you help us to warn them when it seems like they might be taking their suffering and interpreting it the wrong way and maybe coming to, to conclusions about you that are not biblical? Lord, I pray that we could love one another well as fellow church members. I pray that you would prepare our hearts for Sunday as we look to your scriptures. Would you bring us back together? God, I pray that that families, even now, would be making decisions about next Christmas. Christmas falls on a Sunday morning. Lord, that's, a pro that's an appropriate day to gather as the church. I pray that, God, we would gather as the church this Sunday and every Sunday on the Lord's Day to remember the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life that he brings. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.